This is the podcast between an old school mentor and a digital mentee on managing and or working with people, navigating a career, growing profits, and not killing your coworkers along the way. Now let's join the consultant, Hayden Shaw, and the millennial who fixes Hayden's iPhone, Seth Tower Heard. Okay, so this episode is about something that everybody thinks they want to do, and um, maybe it don't. And then also it's about fill in the bucket, uh, which is one of those kind of classic business books that maybe we're actually going to talk about the whole how full is your bucket thing. I know a couple of people who do not read in any way, shape or form anything and have wildly succeeded at business, but only two ever. So for the rest of us, we better be reading stuff. Uh, and we're going to talk uh-huh. about, uh, you know, how to do that. The, the, the two I know, uh, one of them is a high school dropout that has a ton of car dealerships. Um, and uh, then the other one is just super ADHD and can't sit still that long. Uh, but even ADHD people, once they get to leadership, learn how to sit down and read a book. Uh, and I think that's pretty dang important. So <laughs> my name is Seth Sauerherd. Entrepreneur, uh, syndicated radio host, and occasional journalist. Um, you can find out more about my company at uh, digitalprofitfarm.com. We build websites that make you money, do SEO, social media management, and uh, help you launch podcasts just like this one to reach thousands of people and sell more stuff. He's Hayden Shaw. He's helped over 30,000 managers. Uh, and I just realized that I probably shouldn't put this in the first 20 seconds because it's not the most intriguing thing. And I'm thinking about how people watch it on Facebook, but oh well. Um, he's... Uh, <laughs> Helped over 30,000 managers, some of the biggest in uh, companies in the country, uh, and uh, a lot of nonprofits and small and family businesses as well. Uh, and this is the old school meets new school business show where uh, it's actually about stuff that actually happens and not about crazy abstract concepts. And so we really strive to uh, make it applicable every time. And you might say, well, that sort of sounds like you're lying because you said it's always about doing stuff and you're just going to sit here and talk about reading and writing books the whole time. I'm a business owner, I'm in a nonprofit. I'm, you know, working my way through a corporation. I need to know how to do stuff. If you don't stop doing stuff sometimes, uh, you're going to be fried and you're not going to have any ideas. You cannot be redlined the whole time. You can't be redlined for 40 years of a career. Uh, you're either going to have a mental breakdown, have a heart attack, or be terribly ineffective. Well, that's true. And a person has to think. Um, what they do is only as good as their ideas. It's one of the reasons why you're listening to a podcast is because you're looking for new ideas. Now, there's a lot of ways to get ideas. So um, one of the things I said was, Seth, let's talk about the books you found to be most important in shaping the way you think about business. Because uh, I'm just curious. I've never asked Seth that question. And um, that, that's kind of a fascinating topic on a, uh, on a Friday with um, my barbecue T-shirt on. <laughs> I'll be flay. I thought, you know, my wife told me I have to, I, I, I love barbecue. I travel the country. I've been to probably 250 barbecue places across the country. And I buy t-shirts in the ones I like. And if they're $15 or less. And Mrs. Shaw said, seriously, man, no more t-shirts. But because they beat Bobby Flay, they made a Flay Slayer shirt. And so I just thought that was too cool to have a Flay Slayer. Um, by the way, Hayden and I occasionally do try a barbecue restaurant in the Chicago area together, uh, and it's never gone well except for Jimmy Joe's Barbecue in Bourbon A, Illinois. So we love them a whole bunch, uh, and uh, definitely go check them out. And uh, sorry to everybody else who may own a barbecue restaurant. Either we haven't been there or actually you're not that good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. All right, so we were, talk- we're going to talk about books, and let's start with um, this idea. 
Now, executive book summaries. You'll see advertisements, you know, on on Facebook of your uh, uh, the leaders are readers, but leaders don't have time to read. And so here are some executive book summaries. And um, you know, can you get what you need from an executive book summary? Do you have to read the whole book? Um, you know, says started us off by saying, you know, he knows people who haven't read and read a whole book and. Actually, the number of people who have read a book from cover to cover after they get out of high school is abysmally small. And um, um, so is an executive book summary enough? Um, do you have to read the whole book? And uh, let's start with that one to be successful. What, are you, what, do you, what do you think? I don't get into the summary thing, but I also like the written word. I, I think um, you read a lot. You don't like writing. The second half of this episode is going to be about everybody wants to write a book, um, you know, and we're going to look realistically what that looks like. Uh, I would say that um, it sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let me give the answer right up front. Writing a book sucks. And I would say that be, you can oh, just... Oh, I'd like to write a book. Well, welcome to hell, as they say in in B um, horror film genre Anyway, and yeah. I, I I would counter that you can um, honestly, uh, if you have the right skill set, you can probably sneeze a book out. Um, you know, I, yes, I, I well, uh, then you're gonna find this is gonna be a hate fest because okay. I hate Seth Tower Heard, and you'll find out why later. Okay, I, I interviewed someone who wrote a book on The Walking Dead that was pretty good. Uh, her name's Danielle Strickland. She wrote it uh, from London to Toronto, sent the first draft off, made revisions, and got it out the door, and it's pretty good. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you, you can, maybe you just need to book a really long Amtrak. Maybe that's what you need to do. But I would say, first of all, on this summaries thing, I think that reading and engaging with ideas is the same thing as working out. And you're like, well, I mean, I know that, um, what I want is I want half marathon results. You know, I want the weight loss. I want the good cardio health. I want the mental clarity. But what I want to do is lightly jog four blocks twice a week. Can I do that? I would say no. Um, you probably can't get half marathon results on two four block jogs a week uh, where you don't even break a sweat. And I would argue that you um, that engaging in surface level um, you know, book summaries is actually worse than not doing anything. You might as well listen to music or podcasts uh, or or whatever, as opposed to listening to those summaries, because all it's doing is further engaging your brain to be trained for distraction. So I actually think they're worse than not reading. Yeah, I'm not quite as negative on them as you are. I think they're. Uh, I think if you want to cover a lot of what is hot, so like like reading a, a review of a book. It's like reading a. Um, um, articles about stuff. You can find out what's hot. You can find out what's controversial yeah. that way. You can't, you're, you're, you're not going, what they promise is you'll be able to grow your career and grow your skills. You're not going to do that in a book summary. You're going to get an intellectual overview, a conceptual overview of the content that's covered. Um, uh, um, Executive Soundview did a great overview of my Sticking Points book. You're not going to get better at generations by reading that summary. You're going to know what's in the book to know if you want to read the book from that summary. But it's uh, you have to interact with the stories. You have to spend the time to um, – and you're not going to learn skills from a book, but you have to spend the time to engage in it enough to get the thinking that's necessary to do what you got to do. Any of us 
who have actually learned something from a book know that we read it, then we go back and read parts of it again, and the parts we don't understand, we read again. And um, and so you're, you're not actually going to get better as a leader, smarter as a leader, by summaries, by reviews. You're going to have to actually jump into sections of a book and, uh, and let that book become a part of you. Well, and let me, let me take it the other way as well. You're not going to get anything done only reading a whole bunch of stuff because, I mean, how many of us have worked for an organization um, that, uh, uh, you know, the leadership team, somebody's always going off to all these conferences. They come back with this whole new strategy of how to run the company. Uh, and they're, you, you know, you're not even six months into it before they have this other big thing. You know, they hire um, what I call a theory of everything consultant. So that people are like, oh, I'm going to revolutionize your whole business as to where, you know, Hayden never says that. He never says that, um, you know, fixing your generational problems is necessarily going to, uh, you know, end your accounting struggles and make all the employees hang the company car keys back up where they belong because you hired him. He's going to fix your management and your change management and your people issues. Uh, and I, I get really leery of those people that, um, you know, that basically say, I'm a demigod. I'm going to come in and shoot lightning from my fingers and you're going to make a bajillion dollars. Uh, and how many of us have worked for somebody that hires somebody like that over and over again and to chase every single sort of new management um, like rubber ball that's bouncing down the road? That makes complete sense. Uh, I love that. Chase is every new management rubber ball. I have worked in companies where they say, this is bad. Our leaders, our leader has a week and a half vacation. That means he or she is going to read four or five books. And we know something new is going to hit. Now, hopefully it's like kidney stones. And if we just give it four weeks and drink extra cranberry juice, it'll pass. But out of one of those, there's going to be some new initiative that comes out of that. And so... Um, I mean, they just they just know their manager's going off with the five books, and new stuff's going to happen. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, you know that's maybe a different episode for a different day of how to outlast um, somebody like that. I, you know, unfortunately, I've got a friend that's working for a company right now. But I would say that the manager is about a, about as bad as that it, as anybody I've ever seen. They're always having a consultant come in, do a one to two day seminar, you know, shutting the company down for this kind of things. It's, it's a nonprofit. So uh, there's a nonprofit that's doing pretty well. So there's probably still a little extra padding as far as spending the money. Um, I would say that that it clearly stems from this leader's terrible insecurity um, in that he doesn't even have basic social skills. Like yeah, well, you need to back off. Consultants need to put their kids <laughs> through college, so back off. Well, no, I I'm not saying that. I I guess, and this is where I'm going. No, you is... are saying that. There's no reason that they should be coming in like that. Um, and somebody needs to ask the question of, um, when it comes to selling consulting services with integrity, and integrity is critical to being able to actually get results. If you're a consultant and you don't get consistent results then when people start asking you questions, you're just in trouble. You gotta, mm -hmm. you, you gotta go find a bunch of new stuff. I got a bunch of, bunch of new clients. If you're gonna do stuff with integrity, um, which is the only way to do repeat business, then you gotta ask the questions about, why is this the four things you've done in the last six months? And what are you trying to accomplish and do you want it to stick? And if you aren't willing to walk away from the business, you're never gonna have an integrity conversation. You're never gonna have an integrity project. And so somebody needs to be asking why they're doing that instead of pushing for the close. But anyway, 
Um, it's related to that. So if you're a, if you're a leader, leaders are readers. It is true. I mean that that's just true. Their studies, their stuff, and that leaders are learners is the best way to say it. If you you know, you may have dyslexia, and actually sitting and reading a physical book may not be your thing. But there are a lot of ways people get information, and a lot of the best, a lot of the hot stuff comes through books. And uh, you know, the best thing about a book is what somebody would charge six, seven thousand dollars for. They often write up into a book. Yeah. So good. That's where I wanted to start. Was what's the best way to get out of it? One other thought on that that ties to the later topic around writing books. Um, uh, the publisher I had said. Well, you know, your book is too redundant. You know, it's all really interesting, and then you do 12 sticking point chapters, and then each one uses the same format. It's just too boring. Nobody's going to read it. And I said, oh, well, it's done like that so that they don't have to think. Um, a person can go through, and they don't have to read the book and then spend the next three weeks trying to figure out how to do it. It actually gives a five-step process. It shows you how to use the five-step process. So you don't have to sit there and figure it out. You, you got to figure out how you're going to apply it to your own organization, but you don't have to figure it out, um, what it actually means. I show you what it means. I do the work for you. And they're like, that's not going to go. I said, what do you mean? You think people are going to read this business book from cover to cover? They said, well, don't you want them to? I said, I, I don't know. Look. I got a thousand books, physical books still, and another two thousand electronically. I got a lot of books. I haven't read, I haven't read more than fifteen books cover to cover in um, uh, business books in the last thirty years. Uh, well, no, counting early on Peter, but I haven't read more than twenty cover to cover. You read the sections that are valuable to you and move along, and so that's how people get by with books and information in the uh, in the new world right um well in you know that's what i was going to say is you know you can what are the books is, that shaped your thinking what are the books that shape your thinking and let me set that conversation up in that um you can be bad at a lot of things and still be wildly successful as i've gotten closer to people who have made a ton of money uh, i've seen just how many of them have really big 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 glaring weaknesses like you talk about you know a ceo um is somebody that needs to get a c in everything in order to um uh right be, right uh you know be okay basically i you know i i think i've talked to people that i think get a d in some things and yet are worth millions of dollars and they they were good enough at one thing <laughs> that um you know the business bleeds some money here and there um but Similarly, you don't have to be good at everything to succeed in business and you don't have to know everything. What you need to do is, you know, really have a philosophy that's going to steer you back towards the right course when you get off. Because if you go off just as emotions, um, as Hayden will tell you, I, you know, and we covered this on a previous episode, I quit this show a couple times despite the fact that it's growing because I was just tired and frustrated and uh, really needed to change some things around so I could sleep more than four hours a night. And I was just like, I quit, I quit. And if you don't have something that's pulling you back to center, um, you're going to chase the wind. You're going to be like that guy that hires, you know, and tries a new management strategy, a new way to organize the organization every six months. You know, oh, Zappos is doing a flat organization, so we're going to do that. Oh, now I read this other book, so we're going to do this. Um, you need to consistently be trying out new ideas, know what works for you, and then have the ideas around you that help you execute on that yeah that's exactly right well you know I've worked for Stephen Covey for um, 26 and a half years and 
one of the things he said in the seven habits of highly effective people, still the biggest selling business book of all time. Um, Stephen Covey said that you've got to take time each day to sharpen the saw physically, socially, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, whatever spiritual means to you. And the mental aspect is what's important. Um, if you don't do it, then you don't have the ability to think to what you pointed out earlier in, the, er, in an earlier episode. It's kind of the third level. Your brain gets soft, and you know. And we even point out in the seven in the seven habits workshop, we point out you can't you can't read People magazine or Sports Illustrated or uh, you know Car and Driver and call that mental sharpening mm -hmm. the saw. That's entertainment reading, and it's not bad reading, and everybody does it, and it's relaxing. But what we're talking about is the kind of reading that stretches your brain, that makes you think. Because even if you're thinking, if people come over and work and go, I'm really tired mentally. You are tired of pushing stuff mentally, but often you've not thought deeper or new thoughts. You're still solving problems at the same level you were at. And then that leads people to not have a foundation. And so every new approach that comes along, they jump instead of say, what can we drag and drop? That's what I've discovered in consulting. And then their whole consulting practices to your earlier comment, where they have an approach. They go in, they install their approach. Well, I don't want your whole approach. We need three or four things to drag and drop into what we're already doing. We don't need your whole approach. There's 37 of you in your space that all have an approach. I don't want you to rebuild me. I just need some things. And so being able to know what will and won't work from other books from other ideas um, is really one of the key pieces of leadership maturity. To quit looking for magic, um, what did you say? A demigod uh, yeah. approach. Even if it's not a demigod, big brain could Yeah, I said a theory of everything. Well, there's yeah, just but a demigod thing. approach where, yeah. oh, this is the answer to this and we've got to redo everything and this person will tell us how. Um, no, what's your philosophy of business? What's your philosophy of marketing? What's your philosophy of people? And where are you going to drag and drop ideas? All right, good stuff. Now let's actually name some names here. Seth Tower Heard, what right. have you been? What, what books have shaped you? Okay, I'm going to start with uh, John Wooden, the winningest college basketball coach of all time. Uh, the book is called They Call I didn't Me see Coach. That one coming. Uh, you didn't? I did not see that coming. Oh, They Call Me Coach. I know you played basketball, but I did not see John Wooden coming. Great book. Yeah, uh, They Call Me Coach. Um, John Wooden went two and a half years without losing. Um, his. Uh, you know, and the thing is, is like I, I still could go so far to adopt so much of this stuff. I am the lowest thing I have on um, on the strength finder test of all thirty four business strengths. The one I'm the weakest at is consistency. Doing the same yep. mundane crap over and over again. I get it. Um, he built a championship run that will never be touched on mundane crap, including um, instructing players on how to put their socks on and new players they're like they get to college they get to the mecca of college basketball um literally what put college basketball on television it never used to be televised and john wooden won so much there got to be this national hysteria over it in the 60s and 70s uh and he would say they you know they would show up to this dynasty and the first day he would show them how he wanted them to put on their socks because blisters are still the number one sidelining injury uh in basketball 
you get terrible blisters, you're hobbled, you can't move well, and you're out, right? And uh, it would drive him crazy. And I would say, even though consistency is my lowest thing, uh, wa- watching his process, uh, you know, through through the page has at least influenced me quite a bit on. Um, I, w- I would say that his philosophy is a lot like. Uh, he calls it the pyramid of success, and it's a lot like the belts system in martial arts. Like you just kind of keep building on the base, uh, and so that that's a really big one for me. The second one that's huge for me, a little more sinister, uh, Sun Tzu: The Art of War, uh, is a book I've read a ton of times uh, in different formats. I'm even reading <laughs> it. It is definitely a, quite a contrast from John Wooden. Yes. <laughs> Um, and you know what? I'm going to go a little more dark here and actually say uh, that the older I get, the more I realize um, how correct Machiavelli's The Prince is, uh, and it, which is, uh, if you're not familiar with that, uh, Sun, Sun Tzu is from... Um, uh, ancient uh, from ancient Oriental culture uh, about how to win a war, uh, and then uh, the prince is about how to hold and maintain power in the throes of Italy being a very unstable place, uh, and uh, and advice to a leader basically on how to maintain power. Um, it's actually used as basically the holy scripture of. Um, some mafias as uh, mafias wind up being very cult-like and very religious in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I would say that, um, honestly, that book is, has helped me think about other people's motivations because I think I started out my early 20s being very trusting that what people said was what they were going to do. Uh, and that doesn't mean everybody's evil. It just means you need to be able to think through you know, basically the further you go up the chain in management and leadership, um, part of it is who's lying least because everybody's lying. Some people don't know they're lying. They're just giving you their perspective on the truth. And you have to be able to take all those perspectives and get your best guess at what's really going on, especially the more layers of leadership you get. So there's three. Excellent. Um, any novels? Those are all, those are all books about organizations, about power, about accomplishing goals. Um, yeah. None of them are classic business books in terms of business management books. So that's interesting. Any novels that have shaped the way you think about organizations? and I would actually say yeah. um, C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. And that uh, in, they didn't in this see that one coming fictional either. world, uh, this fictional world, it's seven books that follow the arc of... Um, of this fantastic world, you know, fantastical world, magical world, from its um, its inception to its uh, apocalypse, uh, and I, I think what I really like there, um, as far as um, organization, there's a couple things I'm going to pull out. One of them is that um, the lion, um, who uh, is key through all books, um, Aslan, you know, pop cultural, one of those things most people are going to know, right? Um, he tells. Uh, to the children because these children come in from Earth who wind up being linchpins in saving uh, Narnia. And he tells two of the children to repeat his four th- signs that he will send to them to accomplish their mission day and night. And I actually, right now, I try to write down the f- same four goals every morning. Um, so that's that's a really big one. I also do think um, as I think that starting a business is a lot like an epic book like Lord of the Rings or something like that where um if you win, and there's no guarantee you're going to, but if you succeed, there's going to be 37 times when you think all hope is lost and there's no way you can get out of it, and then somehow you get out of it. Um, so I went I went both of those, <laughs> Lord of the Rings and um, Chronicles of Narnia. I do read Chronicles of Narnia every summer, um, you know, from book one to book seven, cover to cover. 
<coughs> I made a mistake at Costco and bought them all in one large oh, like, no. volume. Yeah. And tried it. I tried to read it. My daughter, I, I'd read them. I, I'd read them twice um, to my boys, and my daughter's the youngest, and she was finally old enough for it. So I started over with that book. <coughs> you know, because the covers were coming off the other ones that I got when I, I, I had from when I was, um, you know, fourth grade. And uh, yeah, sitting there laying in her bed with that thing um, cutting a hole in my chest, I'm like, this was a really dumb idea. And um, yeah, we'll pull back out these smaller, simpler, <laughs> easier, <laughs> easier books. Why didn't I get this? You know, why didn't I get this electronically? So yes. That was a beautiful yet dumb idea. Um, but by the way, Amanda and I, uh, as you know, we're going to be moving sometime in the next few months because you know, kid number one, this place is not going to be big enough anymore. Um, we've just kind of got into really wanting to not do physical books and just doing eBooks because of moving and space and stuff like that. Uh, I will throw out Donald Miller's building a story brand, uh, is a fantastic, fantastic read, um, that my company has taken a ton from, uh, and pretty much anything Seth Godin has done, even though I think he in some ways has become a parody of himself, uh, in his later years, like he gets so short and so abstract that sometimes I'm like, there's just nothing here. Uh, but particularly his, um, older books, tribes, um, which I think is one of the most important marketing books ever. And then he wrote a book called The Dip about when to quit that I think is really, really important. I think there's an art on when to quit. Um, those are probably my really big ones. And the thing is, I've read a ton. Uh, and I, um, I go, the ones that have meant the most, I keep going back to. One more, one more, and then I want you to go. Uh, a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying about the lead negotiator, hostage negotiator for the FBI. Um, on you know basically how to get what you want. Now that's uh, the one I've not heard of. Trust me, I'm lying. It's only a couple years old. Um, it's something that I've recommended to several friends, and we've talked about. Uh, and it's uh, I mean, you know, it's tactics he used when it was life or death, and somebody was getting shot in the head, and they were trying to send the hostage, you know, the hostage rescue team, and he's trying to talk him down because. Anytime you got to breach the door, they're probably going to kill a couple of the hostages, even though the uh, terrorists themselves are going to die. Not all the civilians are going to make it out. So you want to be able to talk your way out of that situation. Okay, Hayden's turn. Well, I'm older than you, and so you can tell this is the consultant and the millennial because, um, well, a lot of people my age have read Seth Godin. He is definitely more of a uh, – he's very popular with younger managers. Um, I just got the dip and tribes from my son when he was packing up to move. And so I literally have started both of those in the last week. So interesting you mentioned those. So I like the way he writes. I've read pieces of his blog. But, uh, yeah, so I've not, been a, I've not been a big Seth Godin person. So uh, that's, I think, one of the big things is people, there are strata based on generation of who's hot. And who shapes thinking? And um, um, the stuff. It, it, here's what I think of the top five business books of all time. I'll tell you that. Um, Peter Drucker's Effective Executive, I still think, is the best business book. We should have. Um, and you know, they just had it about three weeks ago on BookBub. Oh, uh, seriously? Yeah, I should have told you. It was three dollars, and I'm like, okay, I have three copies of it, but I never got it electronically. So, Effective Executive, it's one of Peter Drucker's shortest. I still think it's the best book on management leadership ever done. Um, Jack Welch, Winning. Mm-hmm. 
uh, first break all the rules, Gallup's kind of the inaugural study around what makes good managers. I know Strength Finder is something you've mentioned a number of times in the podcast. I think that's great. I think this is, uh, I think first break all the rules is phenomenal in the management space. Um, and uh, uh, the insights in there are still things people don't get. And good managers can be great managers um, with some of those insights. Because great managers do some things differently that their research discovered. And I still, that one's a classic. Jack Welch's winning is so full of great advice. And, and he can be a little over the top. You know, I was uh, I was um, filming. A, uh, I was on somebody else's podcast, and when we were filming it, you know, he was he was asking, "Well, who do business? Who, what do boomers think in business?" I said, "Well, Jack Welch, larger than life, charismatic leader, blah blah blah." And, and you know, um, he, Jack Welch doesn't write bad stuff. That's why Business Week kept him and his and his wife and uh, you know a uh, past editor of Harvard Business Review around. But winning is the one that she helped him shape. Uh, shape. It's fast. It's uh, there's just chapter after chapter that I think are classic stuff, great stuff. Um, make a person successful. Um, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I you know I I've taught Stephen Covey's class. 1,500 times, probably more than a handful of people in the world other than Stephen Covey himself. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is still deserves to be the best-selling business book of all time. Um, it's classic stuff. If a person hasn't read it or listened to it on tape, they really should. It's on most lists of best books, best business books of all time, and it's on most lists of, of, of self-help books that actually help. And... Um, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm sure I've got it. I got to go back and I probably have it a couple to, you know, electronically and uh, physically. I'm probably going to have to go back and check that out. I, um, I can rattle off most of them. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think when I was younger, I thought it was just all like, it was, you know, it had been around so long. I thought it'd become cliche, uh, but that's something I'd like to actually go back and, um, and revisit. So you went very, yeah, that's a really there. good point that, um, it, yeah, it, um, <laughs> Um, that's a good point. People are like, oh, isn't that pretty old? Uh, yes, it is. And it still sells, you ready? Mm -hmm. Still sells half a million copies a year worldwide. Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, the New York Times just has to take certain books off the list because they would dominate. And they just have to take them off and put them in like the Hall of Fame. Because, you know, if you sell 500,000 copies a year, um, you and uh, J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter are going to crush. Nobody else ever gets a chance to make and the list. And that's just an uninteresting anyway. list, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. I'm going to uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, two more. I really think that leadership in the one-minute manager was a huge, uh, for me, leadership in the one-minute manager was one of the most influential books in my career. And um, Okay, so what's uh, in there it, that's so important? Because I've got to say, that's one of those ones that I threw out immediately or refused to read. Uh, and I'm not always right. So actually, I'm a huge fan now of Kevin Lehman. 
uh, who wrote a, uh, his? He wrote the birth order book in the seventies. He wrote a, a parenting book called "Have a New Kid by Friday." Uh, yeah. I had to interview him when I was full time in radio, and I just thought this right. guy is going to be a moron because "Have a New Kid by Friday" it's the stupidest sounding book. Uh, and I, I would say that I listen to his podcast every week. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of him uh, as I get ready for parenthood. Uh, Isn't he brilliant? I, I was I was dead wrong. The one minute manager sounds like the dumbest thing ever, and that's why I never read it. Well, the one minute manager is a boomer title to go back to the idea of consultant in the millennial and the question I got asked earlier in this week uh, by Carrie Newhoff and um, the consultant in the millennial. Um, um, us old dogs, a lot of those books had those clever. This is the magic. This is the secret title. So, you know, the one minute manager. Basically what it is is here are the core four or five best management practices that will make you exceptional. And it was one of the very first business books to be written as a story or a narrative. So your people actually read it. I think Who Moved My Cheese, which sold millions, is um, I, I, I thought that was a throwaway book. But because it was written as a story and because change was such a hard thing especially in a lot of industries 15 years ago, it just was the right book at the right time. And I think One Minute Manager was that. Um, the skills that Kim, Kim Bencher and, and Spencer taught in there, uh, Spencer Johnson, are they'll make any manager a lot better. For me, leadership in the One Minute Manager was better because it was based on Kim Blanchard and um, a guy named Paul Hersey. The, the two of them wrote a... Um, classic management textbook that's still in print and it answers the question of should you be hard-nosed or should you be um, um, relationally supportive and the, the answer is well it depends on the situation and hence situational leadership and so I remember writing leaders of organizations and saying what leadership books do you recommend because in grad school they're all theoretical and I got some, actually I got some fairly scathing letters back because I named some names of things I thought were too theoretical and they were some of those people's favorite books. And um, so they wrote me back some kind of scathing things about, well, you know, the, the, the. I found that book and went, this is what I want to know. How do you actually do leadership? And situational leadership is one of those classic things. I got, uh, um, uh, three of my four kids were business majors. I, I told all of them, Situational leadership. You need to know how it works. Read this book. And um, it's good stuff. So to answer your question, what's in there? I'd say one, uh, two or th one of the three or four things every manager has to know till the end of time. Okay. I'm actually going to go back and, you know, it's funny. I've thought about those books occasionally over the years, the Who Moved My Cheeses and the uh, One Minute Manager and stuff. And I'd never gone back to it. And um, I think that also the whole baby boomer thing, that generation, or maybe it was Gen X. I'm not sure. There was a lot of like really cheesy motivation eBooks, you know? Oh yeah. Um, and I, I hate that crap. I just hate that crap. Well, uh, sir, it is so generational books. Publishing is so generational. So Stephen Covey became a phenomenon because Inc. Magazine called him anti-charismatic and the title was considered way too long. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was considered way too long. Now it's considered one of the greatest titles of all time. But back then it was like, no, yeah, it's way too long. It's not going to sell. And 
um, because boomers are into fairly hypey things and a lot of self-help and, you know, fire walking and motivational speakers and not a lot of content and a lot of neuro-linguistic programming was new and hot. You got to visualize yourself doing this and here are three tricks and four techniques and it had become almost a parody of itself, yeah. um, to use your phrase. And um, uh, it's so funny, my son Max saved a podcast from some guys he really likes. I don't remember the name of it. And they were reviewing Seven Habits. They both read it and and one of them went, yeah, it's okay. And the other one just trashed it, said it's abysmal. Um, and, um, and the other one said, well, you've heard a lot of these ideas before because everybody has stolen them. Oh. Um, yeah, and, you know, and the guy's like, this could never happen in the real world. The story he tells about his kids, that would never happen. And I actually kind of felt sorry for some of the Xers and the millennials who didn't actually experience a family like that because I know the people involved and the stories are pretty much how he told them. Wow. And um, and so part of it is, I think Seven Habits wasn't dark enough for some folks. It, it wasn't true to life enough for some people. They're like, yeah, that could never happen instead of, huh, what experience of mine in real of reality um, makes that seem impossible? Yeah. I also think just as long as we're trashing generational books and then we're going to move on to writing, um, Anything that has to do with there's all these like business and golf books I remember, and I really hate those. <laughs> Matter of fact, I had a client who was who was a brilliant guy and was a sports psychologist that mainly focused on golf. And uh, he goes, "Hey, would you mind re reviewing a copy of my book on the psychology of golf and business?" And uh, I was like, "Yeah, for sure." And, uh, you know, because he was brilliant. He, he, he had worked with, pro, I won't name any names, but 10, back in that day, 10 of the world's best golfers, both male and female, wow. to help him through the mental part of the game. And, um, um, <laughs> and it was great. He was showing me some tricks on putting, to which he said, I don't think I've seen anybody who is worse at putting than you are in all my career. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think that's really harsh for a person. I was using my, he goes, are you using your best mini golf uh, putting strokes? I said, yeah, I've golfed twice in my life. So he goes, yeah, it shows in, in horrible, horrible ways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let me, um, let me hit on two more and then let's talk about writing and then um, that'll be done because I think, I mean, almost everybody I've ever met kind of thinks they should write a book. Um, uh, Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art and Do the Work, uh, which are kind of which kind of go together. Um, that's basically, if I can sum them up, um, it is uh, quit trying to feel it, quit trying to have a good day, quit waiting for the muse, show up, do your work. Um, I and as we, this is a good transition to the writing thing because I just don't believe in writer's block. I know that I can write, um, you know, probably on average, uh, four to 600 words an hour. And I can, for the most part, sit down and write four to 600 words an hour, even if I got to do a little research along the way. Um, yeah. and you know, a book is about 60,000 words printed. It's about a hundred thousand words. Um, you know, uh, as a, um, as, uh, a first draft, right? So what is that? Uh, divided by, I'll go conservative. It's about 250 hours of writing to get that out the door, um, which I actually like, um, you know, and so that's, that's really about six weeks of working on it 40 hours a week. Um, 
he just wrote, I hate you. <laughs> Hayden's always saying I should transcribe these episodes and turn them into blogs for LinkedIn, and I always say I'd rather write. Um, <laughs> no, I always say I should turn them in. I should get them transcribed and turn them into blogs, and I'm not, I'm not even doing that. And so, yeah, Seth is like, no, I'd rather write them. Um, I would rather one of the reasons we're doing a podcast is because Seth said, you know, it's so hard to do social media mark content marketing when you create no content. But I know I can make you sit down for two hours a week to an hour every other week and pop these things up. And once you're talking, you're fine. It's it's sitting down and writing. So we could not be more opposite on it. He thinks writing is fun and it's something you would rather do. And I think when well, Hayden I, I, told me and himself for about two years, he was going to write more and it just didn't happen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It took me a while to, it, yes, it took me a while to realize, um, I am not going to do it. Okay. Um, so everybody thinks, Oh, I got a book in me. I, I mean, for some people, they just want to write a novel. A lot of people think they have a memoir or a business book. Um, I would tell you that memoirs are really tough and don't traditionally sell very well. So if you feel like you got to say something for your future children and grandchildren, that's fine. But your odds of making it in that arena, those are, are actually called, those are actually called, um, um, vanity books, vanity press. Okay. So uh, if you wanted to write a book for your kids, if you wanted to write a book, a story of your life or whatever, you would go to the Vanity Press and they would help you do that. You would pay them and they can make a cover for you. They can publish it. They can. And I mean, it's you pay for it because it is your vanity project. Now, if you can get it to sell, that's great. But um, you know, everybody's like, oh, my my grandfather had such great stories of the war. You, you know what? There were 16 million people involved in World War II, and the chances of your grandfather's stories being significantly different than my grandfather's stories are really small. Yeah. And so people will read histories. They read oral histories about a bunch of of soldiers' stories. They don't. They're not going to read your grandfather's stories. I, I remember even in, when I was in eighth grade, a woman saying, "Am I?" I just want to write those up. And I, I've heard at least a thousand, literally at least a thousand times people say, I just, I've had such interesting stories. I bet that's a book. Um, let, me, let me jump in right there. It's a book if you are an exceptionally good writer. Um, I would say one of the things you should read if you're learning how to write is a book called The Things They Carried about Vietnam. Uh, and I forget who the writer is, but uh, I think he wound up yeah, with a Pulitzer right. Prize for it, right? Um, that's right. Did he do anything particularly interesting in Vietnam? No, but he was an exceptionally good writer. Um, a, a guy I would say I'm friendly with, kind of a casual contact uh, that um, you know has been pretty nice to me along the way, Donald Miller, uh, who uh, now runs a company called StoryBrand. Uh, I recommend their podcast, by the way, uh, Building a Story Brand with Donald Miller. Uh, he was a memoirist before he became a business guy. Um, and you know nothing particularly unique happened to him. Um, he was just kind of another Portlandier or whatever, a uh, person who lived in Portland that had a little different, you know, kind of view or spin on life. Um, he just put words to the page really, really well. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, it's what I wound up reading at my grandfather's funeral. Uh, and it's not because Donald honestly has had an exceptional life in any way. He really hasn't. Um, it's just, he's really good. At it. 
And he is. He's a good writer. And he captured, he captured, he put into words what an entire generation in um, uh, in the religious space was thinking. Mm-hmm. Better than anybody else had. And there are those, see, once you're my age, you can go back and go, okay, that was the Donald Miller of that sub-generation. She was the Donald Miller of that subgeneration, and there's they pop up about every five or six years. Um, in whatever subgroup you're in, there's there's kind of a Donald Miller. You hit that, you hit the wave. Um, you know, I think if Seven Habits of Highly Effective People came out now, it would be a, a a a good book. It would sell well. It would not be this monumental thing. It just hit the baby boomers at the right point in time. And um, same thing happened for Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. Here it is, a religious book that sells, um, uh, that is one of the dominant books in all of publishing. And it's because in the se- baby boomers in the first part of their life wanted Stephen Covey to show them how to be successful. Once they hit midlife, they wanted somebody to show them how to have purpose and meaning. And so both those writers hit a huge generation at that stage perfectly. And so if you're a memoir writer, um, or you're even writing things. You know, Stephen Covey wasn't writing anything new. He packaged it really well. Rick Warren didn't write anything new. He just packaged it well. And you can hit it right. Most people don't hit it right. So I think the, the most thing that surprised me most writing a book was that 80% of published books, not self-published books, but 80% of books through a publisher sell less than 5,000 copies. Dang. That's not, <laughs> that's depressing if somebody wants to go into that space. But, you know, on the other hand, it's really not because I would say that most people don't get that really you sell a book in the eight months to two years before it comes out. By the time it's hit, probably the people that need to get it the most have decided whether or not it's going to be worth their time. And that that now is in this new world of, you know, podcasting and social media and just you being out there, right? So most people put all the work into the work that it is to get it out the door and not enough work following this thing around and continuing to preach this gospel of whatever they've written for however long. uh, Well, it's one of the reasons why my publisher only does books, um, nonfiction books with people who speak. Because yeah. speaking gives the book a tail. Yeah. So so Sticking Points, the book I wrote for uh, the business book I wrote for them, it sells more now, five years later, than it did when it first came out. Dang. That, and that's rare. Yeah. That's rare. But it's um um uh, uh it, it's not huge. You know, I think it sold sixty thousand copies total. So it's not any you know. Stephen King is not laying awake at night going, Hayden Shaw's book on generation, <laughs> right on my tail. Um, well, let me uh, and let me land because I'm not probably going after any kind of pursuing any kind of publishing until at least 2019, maybe 2020, kind of depending. I mean, the business has taken most of my stuff, and really, I'm still kind of living out the story I'm trying to to put out there. Um, I don't want to write until I've kind of got um, enough to write about, uh, and I think I need to get a little further into, uh, you know, into the entrepreneurial game for that to happen. Um, but you know, if I can kind of answer that question as somebody who's been, you know, a journalist and been in media, should I write a book? Um, for most people, it's probably a vanity project. 
Okay. Uh, and it's, it's a tremendous amount of work. Uh, and so if you really just want to tell stories to your kids, I would say maybe a better way to do that is, um, to just do a series of, uh, videos or a series of audio that you can pass down to your children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. Uh, if you are the exception to that, if you say, oh, okay, I've got a management practice or I've got something to say, yeah, I mean, just based on why you're here, it's probably something in the business space. Right. Um, I would say uh, that uh, you can know if it has the potential to be a best-selling book or not by getting some people who don't know you that well. So um, you know they're not going to like you to like the book just because they like you, uh, and try to take them through an idea. Maybe um, meet once a week at six a.m. for breakfast or something like that, and try to take them through an idea. Um, and either they'll be really excited about it, or they'll they're probably not going to tell you it's terrible. They'll either be really excited. Or they'll kind of like, oh, okay, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll try this out. And if you can't get five or six <laughs> people out of their mind excited, um, then you don't have a book that's going to get a publishing deal. You know, that is – that's right. Um, books have business plans. That's the other – you know, that's the, another surprise that I and other people run into. So when a publisher – before a publisher takes you, you have to write a multi-page business plan for the book. And, um, uh, you know, they want to know, who are your competitors? And I think one of the things that I found interesting is that um, I really, really like Malcolm Gladwell. I think Tipping Point is was an exceptional. Malcolm Gladwell doesn't do a bad book. He's a great writer. Um, he's not always right. I mean, later on, research comes along that questions the research he used to write things. And But he's the first one to say, that's really great. That's better research. Anyway, Malcolm Gladwell is great. And, you know, after Tipping Point was so successful, people come along and go, I've got the next Tipping Point, or it's like Tipping Point. And publishers are like, um, well, that's interesting because there's already Tipping Point. And, you know, the third dystopia book is a hit. The fifth dystopia book involving werewolves is a copy. <laughs> You're going to sell it online, and uh, BookBub is going to offer it. It's going to be a $3 book that BookBub offers for free, so that anybody will will uh, look at your other books. And, hey, you know, to be fair, let me at least talk about that. Okay. I'm a National Speakers Association with a woman who cranks out 20 romances a year. Okay. So she literally writes a romance novel every three weeks. That's her job. And there are some people that, you know, there's some people who um, self-publish on Amazon mm -hmm. and they get a following and they make about 60, 70,000 a year, you know, which they think, hey, for sitting, for having freedom and sitting in my own home and they'll write 20 books a year. And that's all they do is crank out books that they sell for $2.99 and they've made a career as a writer. And so, I, you know, if somebody's like, that's what I want to do, dude, back off. I want to sell rapidly written books there is a there is a way to do that and um um and you can make that happen um i you know i find writing hard because of you know seth is fast seth is a professional writer uh he thinks and works like a writer he's in websites because it involves writing he's fast at what he does because of that when he you know he I like Seth's work, you know, because I follow him on Facebook. There'll be an interesting title on one of his articles, on one of his movie reviews, and I'll be like, 
all right, he hooked me in. I'm clicking, and not just because I know him. And then I like his writing, and I like his thinking. And then he tells me, yeah, I wrote that in an hour and 15 minutes. And then it, it comes back to an earlier message that I wanted to broadcast. <laughs> He's holding up a, a sign that says, I hate you, by the way, if you're just listening yeah. to the audio podcast. <laughs> yeah, so for me, I'm, you know, I'm waking up at 4 in the morning because I couldn't go back to sleep as I'm thinking. I got a deadline on this book contract. And I come down and I crank out five draft pages in four and a half hours. And I'm fussing over the sentences and I delete a whole page and start over. And um, um, yeah, so I rarely had writer's block. I just had writers, this sucks. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, we probably had a. This has been a pretty long episode. I hope people have cared far to get this far along. Um, let me let me talk a little bit about formatting here, um, because just as I said in the beginning, you need to have you know kind of a philosophy you're building that you hold true to when the storms hit, right? And not just not be completely ignorant and be making emotional decisions and also not following every new management theory. That's what we talked about with the reading books. I would say that writing books, honestly. Um, it really is just good writing usually comes from um, kind of having some preset templates in your head of good books that you've written. And I just do a pretty good job of mentally cataloging good lines, good opening paragraphs, good closing paragraphs. And although the idea may be mine, the inspiration of how to open, how to close, how to format something, uh, as usually I'm pulling from somebody who's done it better than I have, um, or who, you know, is dead or, or something like that. And so, you know, when is the blank page not terrifying when you know what kind of writing you want to do and you can go put your own stuff into it? Um, you know, just staring into the abyss and realizing you could create anything truly is terrifying. You got to limit your options. I think, friends, that's a great way to wrap up. I remember when uh, um, I remember when I turned in a couple of chapters to the publisher, and they wrote back and said, "This is not good." <laughs> so I had twelve sticking point chapters to do. It was the meat of the book, and they said, "This is not good. This really seems like you're doing a speech, and you just took your slides and wrote your slides up as if you were doing a speech." And I said, yeah, that's what I did. He said, okay, well, this is going to be a problem. Interesting, uh, because we didn't, ha we didn't see a sample chapter of any of these sticking points, probably our mistake. Um, but yeah, you can't do this. <laughs> and so the point is, I did what I knew, which was to speak and then write it up like I was doing a speech. Seth just described what professional writers do. They have cataloged good writing in their head from what they've read and seen, and then they pull out those, he calls them templates, but templates really does sound like some high school um, writing metrics that somebody's using, and um, or something you get off of you know, Word or the internet. What Seth is really talking about is professional writers have in their mind, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I know how I'm going to get into it, how I'm going to get out of it. And in contrast, I had no idea. And the editor had to go, yeah, no, Hayden, this is really bad. Nobody will read this. <laughs> my wife, and she goes, baby, I'm only interested for the first two pages. Okay. So let me... Um 
So, well, you let me say it differently. If, as far as should you, you don't have templates. Go hire somebody that does, or it will be as miserable as my first book. My second book on generations and religion—that's a piece of cake. Because Ginger Kolbaba is a professional writer, who I would, <laughs> she'd interview me. I'd have on Microsoft Dragon. I'd Microsoft Dragon. I'd on a headset, have my laptop, and then have Dragon on, and I would email her through through Outlook. The uh, Word document, Microsoft Word document with the text I had said, and she would turn it into beautiful chapters in about half a day. Once again, I hate her too. Okay. And so that was a beautiful thing because she had those templates. She had those things in her head. If you don't got those things in your head, Seth, I think you closed it up very practically and very well. Either get them or you're not a writer. Yeah, and let me state it one more time before we wrap up here. Um, Either... Like, okay, Hayden is one of the best people I've ever seen on stage, okay? So that's why he can write a book, because he's so dang engaging, and he, you know, learned that he needs to get help to translate that into a page. Um, I would say that I'm a pretty good writer, because I write for a, uh, you know, publication that reaches millions of people, and I get a lot of feedback. Um, So... I knew that I could do that, though, when I could captivate at a smaller level. I thought I could scale it up. Go try it. Almost everybody listening that thinks they can, can't. That's okay. Go focus on your core competencies. Uh, And if, you know, you are not dissuaded by that, go try it for six people. They'll tell you whether or not you can sell a million copies. And then if they're captivated, it just becomes a question of how big of a group of people like them are out there and do you have the tenacity to create content uh, in a world where that's always on to where you can get out there and be trusted by those people? Uh, and so, you know, the the group of people that we are should do the book this, is a smaller, third. Smaller, that's what smaller. you need to know. The book is the third of the launch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so take it very seriously. Um, you know, and then if you're going to commit and you still you still are not dissuaded by all that, then you probably have something that people need to hear. That's the way I'm going to say it. Hey, oh, go ahead before I do. The no, course. that's all. I'm just saying yes, and it will still it will still take every Saturday for a year and a half. So, um, you'll get your life back only when it's done. <laughs> Don't listen to him, or maybe. I mean, the thing is, we're both right. <laughs> we're both right on the. We're both reflecting the experience I had, and I I would say it's actually the most fun part of the week, and you'll love it. And it's not that big a deal, and it'll give you a ton of energy. It's one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done is writing. He's Hayden Shaw. You can find out more about what he does at peopledrivenresults.com. Grab his uh, free video there on uh, cutting your generational turnover in half, that uh, awkward thing where people leave because they're not getting along with other generations. Uh, And you also need to talk to him about uh, management in general and um, also change management, um, how to to get big changes accomplished in your organization. My name is Seth Tower Heard, digitalprofitfarm.com, websites, SEO, social media management, and we also help you launch podcasts just like this one to... uh, reach thousands of people and grow your influence and profits. Finally, the consultant, the millennial Facebook group, go over there, uh, connect with other smart people uh, who are growing their career and uh, their skill set. 